Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. My name is Jeremy. And we are here to discuss the December 1980 issue of The Uncanny X-Men, number 140, on sale September 16th of 1980. And this one's titled Rage. I got that nerd rage. Nerd rage. I got that. question about the top left-hand corner where they put all their little faces. Yes. How come Wolverine's still in his old costume there? I noticed that. <laughs> and, and for another thing, uh, it's got me thinking about the kind of the legacy of that little corner. It's like, are these stampers or something? I mean, they don't redraw these every time, do they? Uh, I don't believe they... I don't... I don't believe they are stampers. <laughs> well, but I don't I also don't believe that they redraw them every time. So I just wonder what would it have taken for John Byrne to have just not even John Byrne to be honest, just the colorist to make that an orange cowl. Well, I can tell by the time I mean I'm looking ahead, by the time they make this an orange cowl, they they haven't changed the drawing, but they won't it won't happen until issue 144. <laughs> that always struck me as weird as these little characters never change. But it's the same drawing. Yeah. Okay. They uh, make Colossus a little shinier, too. Oh, okay. So the, in 146 or whatever, like that whole area, it's a major overhaul. No, just coloring-wise. Everybody, everybody looks the same. They, they call, just get colored slightly they, differently. They call in Glynis Ween, and they're like, come on, color this differently. Okay. Isn't that Tom Orzeszowski? Or... No, he's the letterer. No. Okay, I don't, I don't know. I don't pay attention whenever you read that part. <laughs> I gotta say though, I uh, I like this cover. It's a good cover. Yeah, Wolverine's getting smashed into a tree by Wendigo, fist to fist with the Savage Fury of Wendigo, and this is extremely similar to a much later Todd McFarlane cover that had Wendigo and Wolverine and Spider Man on the cover. Is it? Well, I mean, it's not like it's not like pose for pose, but it's it's similar in that Wendigo, Wolverine are in the cover, and there's a bunch of trees in the background. Oh, that's yeah, because they're in Canada. Blame Canada. <laughs> but I would almost say that this is uh, Todd McFarlane took a lot of inspiration in his art from I don't know from John Byrne for sure, or maybe Terry Austin. I'm not sure which. I could see, I could see that, especially. Say, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Especially here, like it really, it really, really, really. I think I've said this before, but it really feels like John Byrne has definitely come into his own uh, in this cover, and and for the majority of this issue, to be honest. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That makes me excited. <laughs> so on the cover, it is Wendigo smacking the crap out of Wolverine, as Adam said. In the background, you got Snowbird. She's she passed out or knocked out or something. Vindicator's knocked out, and Nightcrawler's just laying on the bushes. And uh, a woman who has been beaten and her clothes are ripped up, she's crawling away holding like a baby or something. We can tell it's a baby because the baby's little hand is sticking out going, it's shaking. It is definitely flailing. And uh, 
When I got done with this particular issue, I did notice that uh, this this comic book is thicker <laughs> than previous issues. So they're, they've definitely yeah, added a, more pages. I, I did a page count. Yeah. Uh, 50 cents, 22, 22 uh, pages. 40 cents, 17. I was going to say, because it felt like for a while we were just whipping through those books. I got like halfway through this, and I'm like, okay, is this is this almost done? <laughs> Might have had something to do with the story, but we'll we'll see. It's not a terrible story. Uh, this one's written by Chris Claremont, penciled and plotted by John Byrne, inked by Terry Austin, lettered by Tom Orzachowski, colored by Glynis Ween, edited by Louis Jones, and Jim Shooter is the editor in chief. And this true debt. This opening splash page of Colossus yanking a stump out of the ground with a chain is littered with words that basically boils down to he kind of misses working on the collective farm, but not so much so that he would go back. Well, you know, fate has him had other plans for him, but he's still a farmer by heart. Exactly. This is apparently how Colossus unwinds. Why are there birds in formation flying towards the E? Uh, summer is almost over, as this panel says, so these birds are getting an early jump on the fall migration. <laughs> <laughs> do you think it's a? Do you think it's a like some sort of hidden subliminal message in the comic? No, I think this is just how they're trying to indicate that it's almost fall. Smoky kids. <laughs> no. No, I don't think so. <laughs> so Colossus is pulling stumps out of the ground with chains. He's, uh, I think he's also tilling the ground. I think, I don't know if he's putting in a garden or what, but, but there's some... Things we'll find out in later issues. There's some tilled up ground. They do a lot of uh, um, uh, space measurements by using the word hectare, and I'm, I have no idea what what unit of distance that is, other than it yeah. is a unit of distance. Angel swoops down to ask if Peter is enjoying himself, and uh, Peter says he is. Yep. It's been a long time since he got to do dirty work, or got his hands dirty doing the work he was born to do. Angel thinks that he's homesick, and Colossus says that he occasionally is homesick, but he cannot go back. As an X-Man, he has experienced so much, too much, his parents and comrades would not understand. I know the feeling, but if that's so, why all this work? It <laughs> you little garden there. Kind of. I don't. I don't know what's going. Either the professor just wants some land tilled up, or 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 Colossus is like, I plant corn now. <laughs> he talks about uh, for all his vaunted power, he is nothing compared to the power and majesty of nature. He has beheld many wonders, yet few compare to the simple beauty of giving a beauty of a seed giving birth to a flower. I am sorry. I am sorry. I am not expressing my thoughts, my feelings well. I have not the words. I am no good with words. <laughs> but ironically, he was perfect with his words there. Angel says so. Pal, Shakespeare couldn't have said it better. When he gets a telepathic uh, command from the professor, Angel? So he Oops, got to fly, PD. I just got a telepathic call from the professor, just like Jeremy just said, word <laughs> for word. He's seeing you. So he takes off. Uh, he at first thinks to himself that when he first met Colossus, he thought he was just some dumb cluck country hick. But now he sees there's more to Peter than meets the eye. He's the most honest and honorable person I know. And it turns out that the 
Professor just wanted to see Angel to get his impressions on all the other X-Men. Just kind of sort of diggish. (laughs) I want you to rat on your teammates real quick. What do you think of them? No problems, he says, except for Wolverine. (laughs) He's crazy, you know, and dangerous. Suppose he goes berserk in a fight and kills someone with those freaky claws of his. The professor says that he knew this when he asked him to join the X-Men. He's a good man, a potential leader, a superhero, or as a superhero, he's extraordinary. All of his adult life, he's tried to save mutants, and he has to try even with the likes of Wolverine. Plus, I like to do things that are stupid. (laughs) I'm just a dick. I like to take risks with other people's lives. It's the game I play. Honestly, I didn't think... Honestly, I thought Wolverine would have torn up one of you by now. (laughs) I'm a little disappointed. (laughs) I owe myself a bet. (laughs) Meanwhile, in Salem Center, Storm is being chased by a 70s black man cliche. (laughs) Hey, Mama, wait up! We are reminded that she is the newly appointed leader of the X-Men. How many issues do you think it will be before she's not the newly appointed leader of the X-Men and she's just the leader of the X-Men? Oh, God, I have no idea. This (laughs) issue is especially painful for reminding us of things that have happened. I think it's the extra page count. We're like, what do we do? I don't know. Let's remind everybody about what's going on. (laughs) So she gets hit on this dude, and she uh, apparently she's been hit on him before. So this time, she's had enough. Why won't you take no for an answer? And she puts a little rain cloud over his head, and he gets all wet. Sweet thing, I'm one fine dude, and you are one fine fox. This is one fine night. What say we make beautiful music together? Nobody talked like that. I am one fine dude. So, yep, he's all wet. I'm soaking wet. Where'd that storm come from? Storm makes a funny. Oh, call it magic. and she is walking up to the dance studio to pick up kitty from uh, stevie hunter and she's a little bit jealous of stevie hunter's relationship with kitty which she she knows it shouldn't bother her but uh she's been on edge since the moment she met stevie uh hunter i wonder if this ever goes anywhere because it's in here she says that um Stevie is one of the nicest women I've ever met, yet the feelings remain. Just the jealousy? Or it, it seems like she, there's something about her that she doesn't like. Yeah, I think she's just jealous. Hmm. She says, Our kitten has a real talent, Aurora. Once we smooth down her considerable rough edges, and Storm Blue sinks to herself, Our kitten? That's my kitten! <laughs> oh, so maybe Storm's just being a little possessive here. Yeah. Uh, Stevie invites the... Steve invites them out. Stevie invites them out for a bite to eat, but Storm quickly says, "Nope, we have to get back to the school." Sorry, Stevie. Duty calls. See ya. Some other time, perhaps. For sure. <laughs> Kitty. Storm says as Kitty phases into the Rolls Royce. She uh, she gets admonished for doing so, but she says, "I checked before I did it, Aurora. Nobody's around." She is sorry that she was using her power like that, walking through solid objects. By the way, she phases through solid objects, Adam. Did you know that? I did. Oh, well, and she claims it's fun. Have, has it been? It's been called phasing. So has it been called phasing yet? I don't. Th- uh, yes, I think last issue, I think they said phasing. 
Okay. Maybe not. I don't remember. But we, We're we, great at this stuff. We know it's phasing. Uh, Kitty calls her out and says, Stor- or, Aurora, are you feeling all right? You're awfully, you got an awful short fuse all of a sudden. Is it me or? Goddess, the child is perceptive. No, no kidding. It's not you. I'm a uh, conservative Wolverine and Nightcrawler. Yeah. Yeah, that's the ticket. We've heard nothing from them since they left from Canada this morning. I hope they haven't run into trouble. Wait, they left for Canada this morning? Yeah, apparently. Oh, <laughs> that's pretty crazy. So what, how long of a flight do you think it is from there to Ottawa? Or do you think they drove? They probably drove. It's a good two they and a half hours. <laughs> yeah, they teleported all the way there. Well, we know they drove because last issue... That's right. Nightcrawler was unloading the truck. That's right. <laughs> Why would right. you be so like, worried? Eight straight hours. They, 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 they've been gone for eight hours and four of it's a drive. I'm really worried. <laughs> well, meanwhile, in Canada, the Wendigo is attacking Nightcrawler. Wendigo. Yikes, that was too close for comfort. This beauty makes the juggernaut look com- uh, puny by comparison. Which is my cue to let distraction, wait, discretion prove the better part of valor. And get the blazes out of here. So he's blaming Wolverine, like typical. Wolverine decides to return to Canada to persuade the government to accept his resignation. By the way, that's the plot of this whole story. And to make (laughs) peace between the X-Men and his former colleagues, the Alpha Flight, second backup plot. Wolverine at last asks me along to chaperone to keep him out of trouble. An idiot that I am, I accept. Slight variation on what actually happened, but true enough. Close. He jumps up a tree as he's trying to escape from Wendigo, so he's still thinking about this. Uh, so, of course, with all eyes on Wolverine, the proverbial, the proverbial roof falls on me. I'm not staying ahead of the monster on the ground. So he goes up in the trees, hangs out there for a while, and reminds us that half of Alpha Flight is here, and they are Vindicator Shaman and Snowbird, and they're investigating a series of horrible murders and disappearances. Wolverine identified the query leg- uh, as a legendary woods beast named the Wendigo. Is everybody caught up now? Because <laughs> I am. Wendigo, Wendigo rips the tree down in order to get Nightcrawler to fall out of it, which succeeds. And then he begins to squeeze the life out of Nightcrawler, and Nightcrawler barely bams out of time. It takes three panels for him to teleport away, and then three more panels for Wendigo to catch up to. Nightcrawler. And he does some multiple, he bamps up straight into the air and then bamps back and down <laughs> to the ground. Doesn't that, when that normally happens, there's gravity? Maybe uh, he's just getting better at it. Well, here's, here's my feeling. Remember, well, I don't want to get too technical, but if he teleports straight up in the air, there would be a, a, a momentum would have to build before he gets up to a speed in which he would be hurt by teleporting back to the ground. So if he teleported quickly up in the air, saw his ground, and then teleported back, he wouldn't hurt himself. Fair enough. I'm sold. <laughs> yeah. but it. Yeah, so it's only a momentary reprieve as Wendigo pops out of the woods, and Nightcrawler does some crazy acrobatics in a single panel, which is kind of neat, actually. He is, uh, yeah, this is this is what he's good at, acrobatics. And then he gets punched at the end. He was trying to throw Wendigo off balance, but he gets punched, as a matter of fact, all the way straight back to the cabin where Wolverine and the remainder of Elf Flight are. And he hits the side with a mighty thwomp. Yeah. There was, a, lo- inside. There was a lot of dialogue, though, between him and... 
He's hurtling towards the cabin. He looks like he's maybe a good 20 yards away from the cabin. Uh, Vindicator and Wendigo bring us up to speed on the campers that we learned about and the fact that Wendigo likes fresh meat and blah 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 Again, it's a rehash of last Oh, my God. The last six pages have been nothing but rehash. And that's when uh, Nightcrawler hits the side of the wall. So this whole conversation, this recap conversation, it seems like it would have taken about a minute and a half or so. It just seems no. It just seems to be like a time a time issue here. Nightcrawler, he's out cold, and he looks like he was just worked over by a Mack truck. Wolverine's plan was to start hunting for Wendigo at first light, but they don't need to wait till first light because following Nightcrawler is Wendigo. Immediately at Wolverine's mental command, retractable razor keen adamantium claws pop out of the back of his hands. They're forged of the strongest metal known to man mm. and are capable of cutting solid steel as easily as paper. I get to use, get used to phrases like that because you're going to hear them a lot. Tonight, the shortest, feistiest X-Man is going to need them. Mac, I got the feeling that finding when to go has just become the least of our problems. Well, that's... <laughs> Duh. <laughs> Good grief, he's right, eh? He's hefting he's that right, pickup right like there. he's a toy. So, yeah, he does pick up the car, and he's about to throw it at Vindicator, and Vindicator's all thinking about him, his battle suit and telling himself how good he is. And now comes the test. He's scared. He never realized Wendigo would be so big. And Wendigo hurls the car at him, and Vindicator destroys it with a splow. Splow. He's like a superhero born, but with surprising speed and even more surprising, almost human cunning. Wendigo grabs for a nearby fir tree and decides to indulge in some prompt, impromptu batting practice. And uh, do you think Wendigo's a Pokemon? <laughs> Why? Well, because Pokemon can only, like, the only thing they can say is their name. Oh, maybe. So I think... For all you Pokemon fans out there, you got to catch them all. You got to catch Wendigo. I think Wendigo is probably the most valuable Pokemon of all of them. I would think he's pretty valuable. Valuable, yeah. <laughs> he uh, he hits Vindicator with a tree, which oddly enough makes the sound effect of scram. <laughs> crunch, scram, y'all. <laughs> crunch would have worked. Shikau would have worked. Even Splow would have worked, but scram. Whatever. No, Splow wouldn't have worked. <laughs> no. That's just going too far. That's just stupid. <laughs> so, Snowbird, she... By the way, she's a... Uh, she's Corporal Anne McKenzie of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. And so she turns into a hawk. Or, I'm sorry, an owl. And rushes to Vindicator's aid. Not sure why she needs to turn to an owl to do that. She could have just kind of run over there, but... Well, we don't get to see this, because next time we see her, she's not an owl. I don't know if this just sets up a couple of segments that are going to happen for now. Or Is it she... just so that we know she's a shapeshifter? I think so. I think it's just an establishing shot. That's all. Shaman, he, uh, you go after him, Wolverine, eh? I will follow when I can. And he, uh, whips up some ice, I guess an ice spell to contain a fire that has somehow broken out. Where did this fire come uh, from? Oh, the when Vindicator shot the truck, it must have yeah. exploded. Okay. The explosion of the truck's fuel has started a fire. These woods are tender dry. If this blades gets out of control, it will be almost impossible to stop. For some reason, the shaman here, he thinks that it's ironic 
that he left the white man and now he's saving the white man and the red man with his ice power or something like that. That is pretty ironic. I don't know if that's the definition of irony, but I read that and I was like, this is stupid. Can we just move on? <laughs> well, we're getting some backstory on Dr. Michael, two young men. Yes. He's, very, he's a very important character in this issue. What do you think the origin of two young men is? <laughs> it sounds dirty. <laughs> I don't want to know. <laughs> yeah. Anyways. I'm sure it's he has the strength of two young men or something cheesy like that, but mm. in this day and age, it just sounds <laughs> bad. Uh, so Snowbird gets to Vindicator, and Vindicator tells Snowbird to go follow Wolverine and Wendigo. You just wasted your time turning into an owl and chasing me. <laughs> Shaman and I will be along as soon as we've extinguished the fire. Yep. So Wolverine's tracking the Wendigo, and he's like, wow, this Wendigo is a lot smarter than the old Wendigo. He's barely leaving any tracks. He's moving through the forest like he was a part of it. Snowbird shows up, and she's like, I can't see Wendigo from the air, eh? (laughs) (laughs) Ain't surprising the woods hereabouts 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 are as thick as they can get. And there are lots of gullies and ravines for Winnie to hide in, or I'm a pirate. <laughs> what happened to Wolverine, Adam? I don't know. He just sort of lost it there in the middle of his sentence. I'm a little bit bored there, Snowbird, so I'm talking like a pirate. Yar. We're going to have to do this the hard way, and uh, one foot and one step at a time, eh? Wolverine! I don't like you much, eh? Thanks. <laughs> But I cannot deny that you are a good leader, eh? Why did you resign from Department H? I got a better offer and uh, and a flashback. At least this flashback is a new story for us to, to chew on. Yes, we learned that James and Heather Hudson found Wolverine near their home in the Canadian Rockies, sick, frozen, starving, as near death as a body could be. They nursed him back to health, accept him, loved him, and he loved them in return, but still there were strains. And I guess they found him after he got his claws, because he has his claws here. Don't you don't understand, oh. Mac. You've never understood. I've always been a dangerous man, scrapping second, na- second, uh, scrapping second nature to me. But these claws, this flaming adamantium skeleton I've got, Scott's out of the comic. Somebody's got to complain about something. <laughs> My deadly claws. <laughs> They change everything. As far as he's concerned, there's no no such thing as a fair fight anymore. He's virtually invulnerable. He's been turned into a killing machine, which made me ask, like, is... Well, I mean, I guess we find out later. But in this continuity of the story, it, did Canada turn him into this weapon? Uh, I don't... I don't... Because it says to the Canadian Secret Service, he was a gift from heaven. So that tells me that he arrived to the Canadian Secret Service, and they're like, oh my god, you have claws and you have a mutant ability. You're awesome. Now you're one of our agents. Uh, yeah. So, so I guess it wasn't the Canadian Secret Service. But then in the next balloon, it says uh, they, they, turned, they turned him on the dirty, brutal, necessary assignments no one else would touch, and he never forgave them for what they did to him and then made him do. So what does that mean? Does that mean, like, he was awesome and invulnerable, so then they put claws in him and made him go kill people, and so he wasn't very happy about that. I don't know. I guess you could read it that way. You could read it both ways, which I guess lends itself well to rewriting his history, as will be done time and time again. What about this next part? And when Charles Xavier offered him a way out, he took it. How do you read that? 
uh, uh, giant sized X Men number one. <laughs> Without a second thought or regret. And how? Apparently, mother and child are still alive, and Wolverine can smell them. One thing I learned early in life was to tell the difference between the smell of a live body and a dead one. But there's a story that comes with that. Is there? I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> okay. Well, you never know. Um, you bring... So, now that you went to go see Vindicator, and Vindicator told you to come find me, I'm telling you to go find Vindicator and bring him back. So, this woman is literally just a gopher for the team. Why should I go? Because I can't fly, dummy. And speed is what's important. Now, scoot. So she turns back into a... It doesn't look like an owl this time. It looks like a hawk. Hold on a second. A what bird. is with Chris Claremont and Scoot? He does say Scoot a lot, doesn't he? Maybe that was the cool... A couple issues ago, it was Dark Phoenix saying Scoot. Now it's Wolverine saying Scoot. Can somebody who actually might say Scoot actually say Scoot for once? Like, I don't know, Kitty Pride. She might say Scoot. You don't think Scoot... Even, is... even Professor Xavier might say Scoot. You don't think Wolverine says Scoot? No. <laughs> well, he does here, Adam. Now, Scoot, you futzer. <laughs> yeah, so he's spying on the Wendigo, and he's like, uh-oh, Wendy's acting hungry. I have a hunch he's in the mood for something more substantial than dried up old bones. Well, because who wouldn't be? Dried <laughs> up old bones are, like, not very substantial. They're, they're you know, they're, they don't have nutrition. They're dry, they're old, and they're bones. Nobody wants those. I'd much rather eat these people. Absolutely. And so the Mrs. Purnell, I don't remember what her name was, but she's like, no, oh no. I don't know that we ever learned her name. Well, the reinforcements ain't going to arrive in time. If Mrs. Purnell going to be rescued, I'm going to have to do it myself. And that suits me just fine. I've been aching for a rematch with the Windigo. It looks like this is it. Remember me? The Windigo is about to take a big bite out of Mrs. Purnell's leg. Wolverine jumps in to the fray and sucks him across the head with a mighty claw bash. And says, remember me, bub? Wolverine's the name. Mayhem's the game. Now why don't you scoot? <laughs> now that phrase is something I don't feel like Wolverine should be saying. I'd take scoot over that. <laughs> well, they're working on catchphrases. Oh, okay. They haven't gotten quite... To, haven't quite gotten to uh i'm the best there is at what i do nope he's gonna the start doing very nice he's he's starting out with this one huh wolverine's the name mayhem's the game he started with scoot <laughs> futzer futzer <laughs> he's all over the place he feels his berserker rage build within him and he doesn't even try to deny it he becomes a fury personified a grim unstoppable engine of destruction the pace is inhuman is this the first time we see a Berserker Rage? I think so. Certainly, this is the first time... one that's at least labeled a Berserker Rage? Yeah, certainly one that's fully articulated. Uh, he, but yeah, he's swinging and swooping, and it, this is the equivalent of days of nonstop combat compressed into a matter of minutes. So it oh, is, come on, that's just stupid. <laughs> it is furious, Adam. This, it's the equivalent of days of nonstop combat? <laughs> Come on. After the 12th hour, you're just kind of swinging at air. So Compressed so it, into a matter of minutes? This this is terrible. <laughs> I'm sorry. The this, this issue has been fine, but some of the writing is just not there. Yeah. I think Chris Claremont phoned this one in. I, I just, 
I don't know if either one of these uh, creators is feeling the Wendigo story or if they're just having a trouble dealing with this new page count. I think John Byrne is all about this Alpha Flight Wendigo thing. He's just like, yeah, Alpha Flight Wendigo. Yeah. <laughs> this is going to be awesome. Finally. I mean, and, and true to form, he's drawn some pretty cool Wolverine shots here. This this panel in the lower right-hand corner is it's pretty impressive. Absolutely. And that's Wolverine is squatting down. It's a very classic pose of him squatting down and thrusting his claws into the Wendigo. Got a big old sneer on his face. I, I would say that he has definitely cut the Wendigo. He's in down. And out, finally, my adrenaline surge, my patented berserker rage, as I like to call it to my friends and associates, is fading fast. Been a long time since I felt this pooped. (laughs) I gotta scoot because I feel pooped. I'm done playing the mayhem game. (laughs) (laughs) This is like, I don't know. Wolverine wouldn't say scoot or mayhem's the game or pooped. I felt pooped. Well, he entered the pants. Fought so hard, crap myself. (laughs) Uh, Mrs. Parker, Nell, the name's Wolverine. Be cool, ma'am. I'm one of the good guys. Can you travel? The sooner we're away from here, the better. I can't guarantee how long Shaggy will stay in Slumberland. We better scoot. Uh, yes, Wolverine is a lot more vocal and definitely using some random types of slang, I'll call it. I can walk. That's a start. We'll pick up speed as we go along. Scoot a little faster if you know what I mean. <laughs> my husband Joe, I heard him scream. I heard, I saw, it was horrible. And, and, my boy, Tommy! Tommy's fine. He's in the hospital. Thank God. That's only part of the truth. How do I tell her that the boy's in catatonic shock? Almost a kind of living death, in case you didn't know what catatonic shock was. <laughs> oh, that shadow? Wham! Well, Adam, we won't have to worry about it, because that's never brought up the rest of this issue. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and the wham sound is Wendigo picking up and throwing Wolverine, and just kind of whipping him back and forth, like a rag doll. Yeah. Kind of like, remember how Thor, uh, Hulk picked up Loki in the in the Avengers movie? Was that no? It was Hulk picked up Thor, wasn't it? Or was it Loki? No, it was Loki. Really, and just like whapped him back and forth. Yeah, Hulk punched Thor. Oh, okay. But Loki, he actually picked up and like tossed him back and forth, just like Wendigo is doing to Wolverine. Back and forth, back and forth. I never thought I would see on the big screen, and when I saw it on the big screen, I was like, "That's awesome." <laughs> well, yeah. It was very well done. I mean, think about it. Movie technology 10 years ago wouldn't have worked. That's true. It would have been terrible. It was still it was still pretty silly, but yeah, it was awesome. It was silly, but it was awesome because they were able to pull it off right. Even even Hulk punching Thor was very funny. Wolverine's unbreakable Wolverine's unbreakable adamantium skeleton saves him from instant death. But even so, he endures a frightening amount of punishment at Wendigo's hands. We should also mention that he has unbreakable adamantium claws, in case you forgot. And an adamantium skeleton. Adamant? Well, they, I just mentioned that. It's not laced, though. Well, that's true. <laughs> it's, it's a whole skeleton of adamantium. That's got to be heavy. <laughs> Take heart, mein klein Freund. The cavalry has arrived. Mein klein Freund. According to the Googles, that means... My friend, small. (laughs) 
Which roughly translates to my small friend. Yeah, it must be the way they position their like nouns and verbs and stuff. Yeah, it's probably like mein Freund Klein, and that's how it should actually be. And but I don't know. I don't know. With Spanish, they're always putting the adjectives after the, the nouns or something like that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. My small friend. Who's notoriously wrong all the time anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so he teleports in and hits Wendigo with a stick. Very small stick. Which seems like a terrible plan. <laughs> but apparently is part of a much bigger plan because he jumps out of the way and uh, Vindicator catches him and says, uh, no need to panic, Nightcrawler. I'm here just as we worked out, eh? Panic? No worry. Well, maybe. It's one thing to talk to a maneuver like this. It's something else to do it for real. I am not very effective. <laughs> I was afraid of this. We're staggering Wendigo, eh? But no more than that enchantment that created him protects him from the full force of our powers. Eh, he's too strong. So the shaman's uh, plan is once the Wendigo is incapacitated, he can run the counter spell to turn him back to a man. Physical force can overwhelm him. The Hulk and Wolverine proved that. Did hey. they, though? Did they? I don't know. Did they? I don't remember. I think... But she wasn't there. Yeah, she doesn't know. Well, I'm sure she read it from the files. <laughs> Uh, Wolverine's out cold, Snowbird, and the Hulk isn't available, so Snowbird decides that maybe she can shapeshift into the next best thing. And she reminds us that there's a great danger, that she takes on the personality of whatever creature she turns into. If she's consumed by bloodlust, she may never be able to come back. But there's no alternative. Oh, Hodiac! Spirit of the Northern Lights! Grandfather! Hey, help me give me strength! And logically, she transforms into the Hulk. <laughs> nope, she turns into a very small white wolverine. Gram for gram, it is said that no animal on Earth matches a wolverine's ferocity or indomitable will. Logan, the X-Men wolverine, is the closest avatar of this small, incredibly deadly woods beast. But Snowbird has become the real thing. And between the two of them, there is no comparison. Wolverine ain't got nothing on this Wolverine. None how. What follows is not so much of a, bo a battle, but a clash of primal forces, a duel of fang, claw, and muscle, and sinew. It is not pretty. And we don't get to see any of it. We just get to see Alpha Flight, Mrs. Purnell, and Wolverine reacting to the carnage that is occurring in front of them. Annie, what have you done? So she has been consumed with the bloodlust, uh, and she. this is her prey. This is, this is her dinner. She's going to eat this thing. Shaman steps in to cast a spell, but then he realizes as, as that Snowbird is sparing her fangs at him and is like, no, this one's mine. Well, Wolverine <laughs> says that you, you can't run a counterspell on Snowbird and Wendigo because you won't make it. And how does Wolverine know this? Because he read the files. <laughs> <laughs> She'll fight you physically and psychically. You could be left so wasted you won't be able to help Wendigo. I'm just talking out my butt now. I'm pooped. I really don't know nothing. I better scoot. <laughs> Leave Annie to me. So what he decides to do is use the same tactic that Cyclops used on Dark Phoenix and just talk to her. Talk her down. Talk her off the ledge. I like it. I, I'm glad that they referenced that again. And I, I like that 
it shows a kind of respect that Wolverine has earned or, uh, you know, learned, learned for Scott. Yeah. So he does. And Annie, it's Logan. Hear me, princess. Listen to me. Remember who you are, what you are. The caption continues. He isn't aware of how long he talks or indeed of precisely what it is he says. In a sense, he bears his soul to her, reaching out with as wild and free a passion as her own. So basically he tells her a story. (laughs) She lunges at him as the white wolverine, but as she gets closer to him, she reverts to Snowbird and thanks him. Logan, oh Logan, thank you. Hush, darling, hush. I know how you feel. You'll be okay now. You've gone through the valley, faced the worst parts of yourself, and triumphed. It'll never be as rough again. I speak from experience, from the time that happened to me. <laughs> the time I turned into a Wolverine. You know, <laughs> I, I was supposed to... That's what we were talking about. Yeah, that's what it is. You know, I was supposed to be a mutant Wolverine. Yeah, I'm also 19. <laughs> but, sir! <laughs> well, meanwhile, the shaman, he casts some spell and says a lot of words, and Wendigo reverts back to George Baptista. It's true. And um, the first thing he says, he gets told, is that he's under arrest. How does he have his clothes on? Well, when you're a Wendigo, I don't know, wasn't he (laughs) naked when he transformed into Wendigo? I thought he was, but now he's in like a suit and uh, pants and everything. You'd think that, I mean, not that I want to see any male nudity here or anything, but... I blame the colorist. (laughs) Yeah, that's his skin. Yes. It happens to look like a... A jacket with a shirt underneath it? Indeed. Got it. So he's under the arrest. For what? Well, Vindicator will explain. I know arrest in Baptista sounds like a cruel and heartless, but I had no choice. He became Wendigo of his own free will, eh? Did he? Yes, he did. Okay. Under Canadian law, that renders him culpable for any crimes he committed as Wendigo, eh? Canadian law's pretty stupid, eh? <laughs> yeah, it's a new superhero rule that we just wrote into Parliament. I don't really uh, like it myself too much, Wolverine. Eh? I'm not really sure Canadian law applies to men turning into giant beasts, but, you know, we've got a bylaw for everything. Yeah, don't worry, though. I'll put in a good word for him, and uh, I'll tell the Prime Minister to leave you alone, okay, Wolverine? Thanks for your help. And now that you're a free man, come and visit Heather and me more often. We're your friends, Logan. We miss you. Do we care about you? Eh? He just turned Irish, Adam. I that don't do a very good Canadian <laughs> there's, accent. There's a little bit of a Banshee in the Vindicator right there. I miss Banshee. <laughs> Snowbird thinks to herself, Will I ever see Wolverine again? Who can say, Do I wish to? Yes. Eh. In little font. So, I know, Mac. And I will. So Alpha Flight's got a pretty cool little jet here. It kind of looks like an inverted uh, um, Enterprise, Starship Enterprise. Oh, yeah. The little disc. So So, uh, Nightcrawler brings up a sort of moral quarry. Baptiste has Wendigo killed. Now he must pay the price. And you, Wolverine, should you not pay a price as well? Well, Kurt, in my life I've been two things. Just two. A wartime soldier and a secret agent. As one, my government paid me to kill. As the other, they licensed me to kill. I was very good at both jobs. They both involved killing. They liked that. They were actually kind of the same job. <laughs> and I got the medals and commendations to prove it. Now scoot. Perhaps, but... I ain't finished yet, Bob. <laughs> Lighten up a cigarette here. <laughs> 
A man comes at me with his fists. I'll meet him with fists. I'm like, I'm like mayhem that way. But if he pulls a gun or threatens people with, I'm protect him. And I got no sympathy for him. He's made his choice. He'll have to live or die with it. Never use my claws on someone who hadn't tried to kill me first. I call that self-defense. I understand, Logan. What you say is reasonable, logical, justifiable. But does it make it right? Wolverine does not reply, and for a long while, there is a silence between the two men. In truth, Wolverine has merely pooped. (laughs) A few times he does speak during their leisurely meander, a vacation by any other name. Home, his tone is thoughtful. Nightcrawler's words, his final question, struck deep. Ooh. But meanwhile, at Parliament, Vindicator shows up and says, Hey, we got the Wendigo, eh? You want a Molson? (laughs) And the Prime Minister's like, good job! We're disbanding Alpha Flight. We don't like superheroes. It's too much money. He does mention the mutant hysteria that's uh, happening in uh, the United States, and uh, Canada's taking some cues from that. You guys can keep your security clearances and your status as RCMP auxiliaries. I wish I could do more. I get out of here. I know, sir. Don't worry, though. We'll manage somehow. We've worked uh, and fought too hard to chuck everything now. So there, there we go. Hopefully now we're walking into our own book. <laughs> An ending of sorts, yet also a beginning of a new, possibly brighter chapter in the life of Alpha Flight. Tune in for Alpha Flight number one, I, I hope. <laughs> uh, somebody's certainly hoping for that. But at a maximum security prison far to the southwest of Ottawa, Ontario, Canada... It's the United States Federal Maximum X Security Penitentiary. Mm. Mm. And inside of that, there's a big concrete room that some guards are looking into, and there's a a hunched-over man with brown hair who's just checking out that door, staring at the guards who are staring in at him. They're noticing that he hasn't budged in days, not since his lawyer visited him a few days back. They don't like it, but all of a sudden the building starts to, the building starts to crumble and it falls down. That crazy loon, he's doing this. He's committing suicide. This isn't the earthquake. What's making it happen? Look out, Ung. Jerks. It'll take a lot more than a few tons of fallen rock to stop Fred J. Dukes. Woo-wee. That implosion stunt my lady lawyer taught me is pretty nifty. Looks like she's worth trusting after all. What implosion move do you think he's talking about? He just pooped into the floor and it exploded the walls. I've been holding this for three days. This is going to be horrible. She said transportation would be waiting outside the prison. All I had to do was make it outside on my own. An entrance exam, she called it to see if I was good enough to join the new Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Well, I am, babe, as you and the world are going to find out. When's the last time we saw the blob? He was a baby. But you, you had done a backup story uh, that where they didn't show, but they explained that some of Eric the Red's adult ray splashed over to Blob, Lorelei, I think Mastermind. Uh, uh, yeah, he was a baby. Oh, yeah. Okay. Next issue, Adam. So how did he get captured? I have no idea. I thought one of your backup stories would tell us this. No. 
Don't you you read us you you gave us a a, a story of like Blob and Lorelai. They were like a they were working with somebody. They were working with um yes, somebody. <laughs> it was in Champions. Yeah. So maybe the Champions caught them and sent them to jail. Okay. I'll, I'll buy that. <laughs> sure. Next issue, Days of Future, comma past. Oh my goodness. And if you couldn't tell yet Dear listener, we are speedily trying to release... There's only one? (laughs) Well, listeners, hopefully there's more than one. We are speedily trying to get ourselves caught up so that when the movie hits, or when the movie drops, our X-Men Comics Commentary podcast, Days of Future uh, Past, can drop at the same time. Did we get any exciting emails this, this decade? We got a Facebook from Michael Fiore congratulating us on a successful cerebus cerebus cast it had it had a picture of moon roach yeah apparently that was a picture of his favorite roach and said that uh, if we did a um if we did a cerebus cast he would very much like that we'll do that when we're done with the x-men just as soon as we've wrapped up all 554 and ancillary issues we will start in with the cerebus cast The Cerebus cast would be kind of fun, but it would have to be, like, really in-depth. Yeah? Because there's, there's, there's a lot of cultural references, and and there's, uh, I don't know, just the dude kind of goes nuts Well, in the middle of writing it. So it would be a lot of um, research, like research of the times type thing? Does that I make sense? So. I don't know. Maybe. Okay. Maybe not. Well, I mean, if there's, like, a certain reference, you'd have to be like, oh, that's from this cultural thing that was happening at this time apparently he also published a book of the letters pages from it's like all just the letters pages from cerebus uh which would probably dictate very well like his state of mind throughout the the 300 issues of of creating it sure it's pretty impressive accomplishment writing and drawing 300 issues yeah i've never done anything like that do you want to do storm and the black panther cry vengeance I do. Okay, let's do that then. This also came out this month in Marvel Team Up issue 100. And uh, yeah, it's it's also written by Chris Claremont and co-plotted by Chris Claremont and John Byrne and arted by John Byrne with Bob McLeod. Don't you think that's just like Bob McLeod? I, I suppose it could be. Or you think it's McLeod? I, I don't know. <laughs> Dear listeners, somebody correct us. <laughs> A. Kowecki is the letterer. Robbie C. is the colorist. Denny O'Neill is the editor. Isn't Denny O'Neill like a DC guy? I thought he did like lots of Superman, but maybe not. Or Batman. I thought he did lots of Batman. I think he was a Batman guy, yeah. Jim Shooter, editor-in-chief. Woohoo! Yeah, so Storm's walking down the street. Her name's Aurora Monroe, in case you forgot. She's the daughter of an American photojournalist and African princess, orphaned at age six. She spent the rest of her childhood as a Cairo street urchin before fate drew her south to her ancestral homeland and transformed her into both goddess and legend. That was long ago and far away. Now she has returned to the United States, the land of her birth, as a member member of a team of mutant superheroes, the uncanny X-Men. Oh my, and in two panels we have the entire history of Storm. <laughs> this is a quick story because right away there's a guy on a rooftop with a sniper rifle who 
shoots her in the head. And it looks like Storm's shot in the head. <laughs> it you does. Come back from that. It does look like she was shot in the head. She falls down to the ground. She's all sideways. Her knees are all kitty wampus. Arg! Kitty wampus? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. All, all akimbo, askew, <laughs> kitty wampus. Just roll with it. I, I, I'm, I'm allowing you to continue. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm impressed. I'm especially impressed with akimbo. <laughs> yeah. So uh, this dude with the the hood and the gun and the suit and tie—it's perfect. I waited until the ca- kafir. Kafir woman. Is that like just some? I think it's slang for American or something. Oh, really? Huh. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to look it up in Wikipedia, but my internet's giving me trouble. You don't think it's like a like a a region of Africa? So Storm does did not die. No, she didn't. And she flies up to the roof, and she attacks this guy with her uh, wind and stuff. And she says, she wants answers. Why'd you do this? And he says, you'll get nothing from me, Kafir. And Storm bridles at the insult. Mm-hmm. And decides that enough is enough. So it's an insult. So it's, I think it's like, you know, like gring, gringo or something. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, she recognizes his accent as an Afrikaner from South Africa. So after she drenches uh, and pours storm, storm, stormy weather on this person, he's like, no more, please. I beg of you. I'll talk. I'll talk. I was hired by Andreas de Reuter. Reuter. At the name, Storm's breath hisses between suddenly clenched teeth, and her face turns grim as memories surge, unbidden across her mind's eye. It was summer, and she'd been on the road for... Well, we get a, we get a flashback. <laughs> so we knew that she was a thief in Cairo. We knew she did like a little walkabout type thing or something, and we knew she was a goddess uh, in a village. But this is in between that time. Apparently she's on her walkabout. Yeah, yeah. And she she discovers uh, a young black man uh, being attacked by a gang of whites. Are they police or slavers? I don't know, and I don't care. That boy needs help, and I'm going to give it to him. So she uh, flies, apparently, for the first time. Is it the first time? Well, it's, it's a confusing caption because it says, Calling on ten- talents she'd only recently learned she possessed. Aurora summons a wind to gather oh. her up. And for the first time, the young mutant flies. Okay, this is definitely her first flight. You'd think she would be uh, worse at it than she is in here. But calling on talents she'd only recently learned she possessed implies that she's done it before. Well, maybe, I don't know. Maybe she recently discovered that like, she had control over wind. But at this point, this is the first time she got angry enough to make a wind strong enough to carry her. There's a missing page here where she's like, I'm flying! <laughs> so she flies up to the black man uh, and scares away or knocks down the white men. She flattens everyone but the black warrior with hurricane force blasts of air. Before the men are even aware they're under attack, most of them are unconscious and in the rest too dazed to give Aurora any real trouble. Do you speak English? Are you all right? Yes, to both questions. But who are you? How do you do this? How do you fly? I am a warrior behind you, that truck. And a big old dude comes out. Girl, your interference will cost you dear. Ooh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Your wind powers are impressive, but they won't stop Deruder the Bull. 
My masters wish to see Prince T'Challa safe and sound in Pretoria as the permanent guest of the Republic of South Africa, and I intend to grant their wish. And he walks up and he hits T'Challa with a mighty pow right across the face, but uh, T'Challa strikes back and, in a word, butchered never, and cracks him across the jaw with both hands. How come they always use four words to use one word? Why does he have to say, in a word, butcher? Never, when he could have just said, never. <laughs> I don't know. Because that's the way Chris Claremont writes. Yeah. The big man is really large, by the way. Uh, he's impressed by the hit that he got from T'Challa. Few men have ever hit him this hard. But this dart gun that he has will take down him and it will uh, take Wakanda and the mineralogical treasure trove back to his country and will make uh, them the perfect puppet ruler or something. It's too bad that he's talking so much because that gives Storm the time to blast his gun with a bolt of lightning from her hands. Hey! Which doesn't get a nice sound effect. That's too bad. It should give you like a... Zerak. <laughs> Zit. Zit. <laughs> oh, what the heck is Cyclops doing here? <laughs> so Storm flies off. She's got like a staff that Tatal is hanging on. And they traveled together for a time. The happiest time of her trek, Aurora remembers fondly. But in the end, they parted. T'Challa's duties took him back to Wakanda, while Aurora followed her dreams to the slopes of Mount Kilimanjaro, where she made her home. And Charles Xavier came to find her the next day. Do you think she did it with him? Oh, yes. And I have proof in one of these upcoming uh, word balloons. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, so he, she, so she goes to the Wakandan embassy uh, finds one of the, the, I don't want to say servant guys, but uh, the butler, whatever he is, and says, please tell the son of T'Chaka that the Wind Rider, she whom he christened his white lioness, come on, if that's not innuendo, nothing is, is here and must see him on a matter of extreme urgency. That, well, that doesn't, maybe she's just really affectionate. <laughs> she whom he christened his white lioness is here. Come on. He really liked her, so he was like, I'm going to call you my white lioness. And any christened her. Yeah, well, that just means he named her. With his wiener. <laughs> <laughs> please, please hurry up. It's a matter, or his life is in danger, Storm says. And not uncommon occurrence for the Black Panther. Thank you, Hudson, that will be all. By the sacred stone, I thought I recognized that voice. It is you, Aurora. 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 T'Challa! It is good to see you. It's been too long. You look so beautiful. It's been so long since I've been able to christen you, my white lioness. <laughs> As do you, my gawky, scrawny, flute-playing warrior has become a true prince. I wish now this was a social call. Yeah, because she wants it. <laughs> <laughs> Earlier this evening, I was almost killed by an assassin of the employee of Andres de Reiter. You remember him? Yeah, uh, I remember him. Yeah, sure. He said he was part of a team hired specifically to kill you and me, yet evidently he still bears us a considerable grudge. I wonder why he took so long to act on it. I don't know. I wonder why, too. When we find him, let's make sure to ask, hmm, according to this CompuFile biography, <laughs> he was a changed man after he fought us. Slowly but inexorably, his career fell apart until he was forcibly retired a few years ago. 
After that, he dropped out of sight. So they take to the skies to find them. Then, using the CompuNet... <laughs> yes. Uh, the Avengers, the FBI, the CIA, Interpol, and others, in a methodical search for a man he has not seen since his late teens, uh, they track him down. Yep. And they, act, they act accordingly. Panther moves silently, sneaks in, takes out a guard. Storm is sneaking through. They get to a door when Storm says, Wait, let's not knock it open. I want to see if my. Uh, Cool ability to open doors still works. <laughs> Her lock well, picking curiouser ability. and curiouser, there's a trigger plate attached to the lock. Had you followed your instincts and kicked open the door, it would have blown up in your face. So she, so there. So she picks the lock. No mean feat, and before her aged mentor Ahmed Al Jabbar was done teaching her, there wasn't a lock made she couldn't open. So. I'm glad to see I haven't lost my touch. You'll soon wish you had, Skyrider, says a robot from the corner. When I've smashed you and your kaffir mate to lifeless bloody pulps. So Wikipedia finally loaded up. Yes. And uh, kaffir is a derogatory term for black Africans. Oh, any origin? Like, is that? No, that's it. No, all right. (laughs) A robot. A robot speaking with the Reuters voice. It was formerly a neutral term for South African blacks. The word is derived from the Arabic term kafir, meaning infidel, which originally had the meaning one who conceals the truth. Ah, sure. Portuguese explorers adopted the term to refer to non-black Muslim peoples when they became involved in the Arab slave trade along the coast of East Africa. Later, other European traders also adopted its use. use. Um, Yeah. It is to, in South Africa today. The term is regarded as highly racially offensive. Really? Hmm. Yes. I wonder how racially offensive it was back then. Um. Yeah, it's hard to say. <laughs> I would say probably. Let's see. Use of the word has been actionable in South African courts since at least seventeen nineteen seventy six. Okay. So at least that long. All right. So Chris Claremont knew what he was doing. He's hip to all of the racial slurs. Yeah. <laughs> so this is the robot is speaking with the Reuters voice. So Storm decides she's going to electrify him with a, an electra, uh, with a lightning bolt. Unfortunately, his body is fully insulated. And uh, so Black Panther goes in for a judo chop kick slash kick. And uh, that doesn't work either. It was designed to lure him to this house. For the moment, Prince of Wakanda, your speed saves you, but your human frame will soon tire. Mine will not. <laughs> Training in the X-room, X-Men's danger room enabled me to ride out the robot's punch just enough to survive. T'Challa is in trouble, so since my lightning cannot hurt the robot, I think it is the best alternative. The best alternative is to strike at the floor beneath the robot. It worked at the very least, that should temporarily immobilize him. I'm falling. No, things can't end this way. I won't let them. And apparently that's it. That's, that's it? That's the end of the robot. That was all it took? So yeah. they have some, or T'Challa and Aurora have some uh, dialogue here about like, well, I, that was weird, but it looks like it went down to the basement, so maybe we should go down there. We'd best find Daruter while we have the chance. I hate to admit it, but I fear this thing is 
more than we two can that thing is more than we two can handle alone. Odd, I can't hear anything. The robot's voice has stopped suddenly after it struck bottom, and now there's no sign of movement. This door appears to be the only other exit, and from the other side, even through its soundproofing, I can hear the sound of computers and sophisticated electronics apparatus. So I'm going to punch it open because I doubt, seriously, that he would booby-trap this entrance. He wouldn't booby-trap both doors, would he? (laughs) And he's right. It's not booby-trapped. So he gets in there, and he says, T'Challa. Oh, I trust you'll be better at fighting T'Challa the man than you were against T'Challa the boy? And it turns out that Deruter is just an old invalid man. He's dead. He must have had a psychic link with the robot, making it an extension of himself, but that link has a two-way street. While the robot could easily attack or cope with our attacks, the human organism that controlled it and motivated it could not. He's only been dead a minute or so. The shock of the robot's fall, the mental strain, the fear of being defeated by us again, must have been more than he could have stand. Uh, I love it when Chris Claremont writes dialogue that just kind of lets the hero assume to know everything about the other person's <laughs> response. Instead of being like, I have no idea how this possibly could have happened, T'Challa <laughs> just has the answer. The straw that broke the bull's back. The rooter prided himself on physical strength, but look at him, T'Challa. A twisted, wasted shadow of a man consumed by disease. And hatred, Aurora. I suppose this act of vengeance... The last thing he could ever hope to do was meant to make up for the life he believed we had ruined. Do you remember the Acts of Vengeance storyline? I remember of his existence, but I don't think I read any of it. No, all right. It's available in hardcover if you really want to look it up. No. There's also the Acts of Vengeance supplement omnibus. Really? So you could buy you could buy two full omnibuses of Acts of Vengeance if you really are into that sort of thing. Yeah, I never really understood the Acts of Vengeance storyline. It was supposed to be like, you know, other villains taking on other heroes or something like that. When all the heroes finally decide to gang up together or something. I don't re- I never really read it. I only read some of the ancillary stuff. Like there's Acts of Vengeance tied into the X-Men, but it was just Wolverine in Madripoor. So it was like I guess he was fighting uh uh what's his name? The Mandarin. So that's I guess kind of a different villain. Isn't that where Psylocke turns into new Psylocke? Yes. Spoilers. But I don't know how that ties into the main Acts of Vengeance storyline, or if it does at all. Probably doesn't. Yeah. Well, anyways. Storm says that he's not worth hate, Chala, not even worth pity. I would rather pity his victims. Speaking about the dead body there. And so she changes out of her costume, he stays in his costume, and he summons the authorities. I used my Avengers priority with the police, you won't be involved in any way. It was good seeing you again, but I... It's strange, but I suddenly I find myself thinking of what was and might have been. I, too. It had been a special, unique moment in both their lives. A moment which, once denied, can never truly be recaptured. But know this, perhaps, or both know this, perhaps that is what makes their parting all the more awful. Yet, part they do. As Painful. friends. They may wish for more, but that is what they are, what they will remain forever, except for later when they get married. Right. <laughs> but then it'll come back when they divorce. Exactly. Uh, whatever. I don't know. It seems like kind of a pointless story, but isn't that, I guess, the whole point of Marvel Team-Up? Well, this was like the this was Marvel Team-Up 100, so that it had to be like double-sized. So they had to throw in some more stuff? Yeah. 
I guess it's technically a team up. It was yeah, it was two yeah. people. It was Black Panther and Storm. Yeah, yeah. 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 That's the ticket. That's the ticket. How can someone contact us, Jeremy? Well, Adam, they could go to www.facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast, or they could follow us at Danger Room Go, or they could email us at Danger Room at redcapproductions.com. They could go to xmenpodcast.com and see all of the episodes there and comment on their favorite one if they would like to, or they can go into iTunes, they can search for Danger Room under the podcast. And uh, from there, they could leave us a five-star review. They could subscribe to the podcast, uh, or they could just write some words of encouragement. Do it. Do it now. We'll wait. And while we wait, Adam will tell us about the tales that he has read. uh... That also came out in December of 1980. Yes, Avengers number 202 does not feature Beast, uh, and therefore I'll sum it up very quickly. Um, The Avengers defeat Ultron. Uh, He melts in a big pile of uh, heated adamantium. Nice. It's actually interesting. Um, Iron Man says, For though adamantium has a short flux period, some eight minutes after the resins are mixed, during which it can be molded if kept at a temperature of 1,500 degrees Fahrenheit, once hardened, it can withstand a direct hit from a hydrogen bomb. Wow, that's pretty strong. Little factoids about... uh, about adamantium there. A little factoid about fake metal. Uh, so that's about it. Whatever happened to Wonder Man and the Beast is in the next issue. Huh. All right. The rest of Marvel team-up features Spider-Man, the Fantastic Four, and the first appearance of Shan McCoy. Or Coy? Shan Coy. Is it just Coy? I don't know. Uh, who apparently was created by Chris Claremont and Frank Miller. Oh. They both get co-creator status. And this issue is uh, just introducing karma. She possesses Spider-Man in order to try to rescue her uh, siblings who don't have mutant powers, but then her sibling who has the same mutant power of uh, her, whose name is Tran, so Tran and Shan, uh, is able to rescue Spider-Man from her. Uh, control. Fantastic Four happen to be there at the time. They fight Spider-Man until he he loses control. So they take him away to figure out what's going on. They do a couple brain scans, figure out that he she he was manipulated. They track down Shan. She explains the whole story. Oh, they call Professor X in a uh, slightly amusing uh, three panels where he keeps being distracted from his phone call to say stuff about people in the danger room. Better storm, use your weather powers to deflect those missiles as well as evade them. Sorry, Reed, I was distracted. <laughs> Colossus, remember, brute strength is not always the answer. What members is how you utilize that strength? Sorry. Sorry, Reed. Very important right now. Wolverine, that, that equipment is expensive and difficult to replace. Don't you dare use your adamantium claws on it. That's bad. <laughs> Um, he asks if he can help, and the Reed's like, no, you're a dick. <laughs> I've heard about you, Professor. So they track down Shan, and they learn that she is, she was, uh, kind of raised in, she's Vietnamese, she was raised in war-torn Vietnam, but she got mutant powers that were the same as her brother, but her brother was manipulated by their uncle to, like, kill people for him, and, uh, they go after Tran, but Tran is able to take over all of the Fantastic Four at once. So Spider-Man now has to fight all of the Fantastic Four again. And uh, Shan takes over Tran and 
incinerates him, I guess. So I can't really, I'm not really sure what happens. He disappears a la Obi-Wan Kenobi. Oh. His, his cloak just falls to the ground. If you strike me down now, Darth, I will become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. So I guess she absorbed him. Okay. Which is interesting. Does, does he... So she rescued the kids and they let her go. Hooray! I owe you all far more than I could ever repay. If you should ever need my help, though, you have but to ask for karma. Hmm, says, read karma, the sum total of positive and negative acts of a person's life in one incarnation, through which the quality of life in the next incarnation is determined, until at last a person of pure positive karma reaches nirvana, literally oneness with the universe, at which face I would slap Reed. <laughs> Shut up, dude. You're not cool. Nobody talks like that. <laughs> so, she has potential for good or bad. They let her go. This one ends with the beginning. So, slowly building up a team, it would seem. I, I guess so. We got Kitty Pride. We got Karma. We got that black kid from Fantastic Four 203. That's right. That's right. <laughs> John Byrne mentioned. We're halfway there. Uh,. Power Man and Iron Fist number 66 features the return of Sabretooth. Oh, my God. As well as Colleen Wing and Misty Knight. Colleen Wing is like a ninja now or something? Well, she was always a ninja, but now she's a super ninja. Okay. They're recovering stolen artifacts for a mysterious donor, and they get attacked by the boa constrictor, who I guess is just the constrictor right now, and Sabretooth, who's goofy. Interesting story. Uh, Chris Claremont wanted to keep using Sabretooth, but uh, Mary, when Mary Jo Duffy took over Power Man and Iron Fist, she was like, nope, these are Power Man and Iron Fist characters now. And he, I guess he also wanted to use Colleen Wing and Misty What Knight because he created them and he wanted them to be in the X-Men. But Mary Jo Duffy said no. Wow. They're my characters. And he agreed. She went from fan to, like, uh, control freak, freak in no time. And eventually Power Man and Iron Fist gets canceled, and that's when Chris Claremont gets Sabretooth back. Anyway, uh, they they nearly kill Colleen Wing, and they manage to lose track of Misty Knight, who has a metallic arm and with a giant magnet gets pulled into the vault. But nobody sees that except for Colleen Wing. Goes looking for help from Luke Cage and uh, Iron Fist. So they go to help him. We see some uh, ninja acrobatics as Iron Fist is kind of sneaking around in three panels. It's kind of funny. He's hiding behind a lamppost, then a mailbox. <laughs> <laughs> you can just see his like ears sticking out. And then he walks, they're, they're carrying a painting up some stairs, and you can see his feet walking up at the painting beside that beside it he doesn't ninjutsu. he doesn't really do much in this issue does he well yeah i mean he he fights he fights saber no i mean saber doesn't do much in this issue oh no no he fights iron fist hmm. i didn't read the issue but i kind of flipped through it there's like four panels of saber constrictor fights iron fist but is defeated by water because he has electrical constrictor thingies sure luke cage says holy sheep which is kind of funny <laughs> uh Sabretooth turns out the lights in order to fight iron fist but he he has the advantage in the darkness and that his senses are better but iron fist predicted that he would have the advantage so he was able to 
dodge at the last section and play possum and then kick Sabretooth in the face. Misty Knight sees uh, Sabretooth about to attack Iron Fist and says, he meant something special to you? I'll give you his heart to remember him by. Wasn't there some scenes in this issue where everybody's like fawning over uh, Power Man? Yeah, I skipped that part. Oh, okay. Wasn't important. No. He was like... one girl fawning over Power Man who was carrying a giant Coke machine that he and then dropped. Yeah, it was was silly. But Uh, it it would have been a good opportunity, Adam, for you to use the voice. Yeah, you know, we're not really doing this one, so I'm not doing the voice. Oh. I only do the voice when we're actually reviewing or going over the issue. I'm just kind of summing this one up. So Iron Fist defeats Sabretooth, and uh, they return all of the stolen goods, except for the Jade Tiger, which they let Colleen Wing and Misty Knight keep to give to their mysterious client. Who's their client? Uh, I don't know. He's in this issue, but we don't actually see his face. So you'll have to read ahead to find out. I probably won't do that. He's he's very mysterious. <laughs> I'll bet. And finally, I read Incredible Hulk King Size Annual number 11, which uh, doesn't feature a lot. It features the Avengers. It, well, I guess it does also feature the X-Men in like a panel. Basically, uh, the leader has found a way to take... Uh, what is his name? Uh, Bruce Banner's irradiated gamma blood and put it in the water, making everybody in New York City sick, including the Fantastic Four and Spider-Man. And uh, Bruce Banner has somehow projected images into Hulk's head in order to have Hulk go into the sewers and smash the distribution system for the water. And the Avengers uh, follow him and fight him and eventually realize he's on their side and uh, save everybody saves the day. Hmm. Well, that's good. The leader, uh, apparently the leader used to just be like a plumber or something. That I didn't know. I knew that, I knew this leader is a, a Hulk uh, villain, but never knew what his origin was. I'm sure he Gamma was, is involved. Yeah, he was Gamma irradiated, which made him super smart. And uh, I guess this Gamma irradiation that he's doing either makes people super sick, super smart, or super strong. Yeah. And he has a scientist along with him who started out super smart, so she becomes super, super smart and betrays him because it turns out he's not really that smart. Mm. Um, let's see what else happens. Anything important? Uh, you remember those little pink muscle men? Yeah. Uh, yes. Hulk th- fights a lot of them in this issue. Does he? Yeah. Muscles. I remember those. They used to have like 30 of those things. <laughs> And then Hulk disappears, apparently drowning or something. Aww. But, you know, he's still alive. Right. It's the Hulk, after all. This is just an annual. <laughs> oh, and then uh, int- uh, we get a backup story uh, called Eunice Unchained. In oh. case you were wondering what happened to Eunice, he, um, well, when did we last see Eunice? Was he a part of that Champions Blob story, too? I can't remember, but I think maybe he was. Well, he's been captured, too. And now he's being he's being toured around the country as part of somebody's lecture called The Alienated Mutant in Our Society. And he is a subject in chains. Okay. And uh, he manages to break free of the chains and goes on a rampage. And Doc Sampson can't beat him because of his usual powers to reflect and uh, be untouchable. So what Doc Sampson does 
to defeat his untouchability is he pulls up a, a small portion of the ground underneath Eunice and then starts bouncing him off of it. So every time he bounces back down, it's like a trampoline. He goes a little bit higher and uh, eventually he's going to go into orbit. So he turns off his power and Samson catches him and puts him back behind bars. <laughs> nice. Poor Eunice. Still kicking around, though. That's good. I don't know that he ever graces the X-Men's pages again. So he's, I guess, just some minor B-class villain at this point. Yeah. It's nice to see him, you know. I missed him. Yeah. All right. Anything else? No siree boobs. Boobs. (laughs) All right, then. Well, until next time, the danger room is closed. my fellow nerds, oh, I know you understand. And all my fellow nerds, sing along if you can. We got the nerd rage. 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 Nerd rage. What? You never heard of Joss Whedon? He's like one of the greatest writer-directors of our time. And what do you mean Phantom Menace is your favorite Star Wars movie? God damn it. All right, we can't, we can't be friends. I can't be your friend anymore. Goodbye.